Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I like to talk about teaching, whether it's stories and ideas from my own classrooms or lessons I've learned from other educators. I love to explore ways to help students grow and thrive in school, but also for their educators to thrive as well. So that's what this podcast is all about. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom. All right, well, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you all are doing great. I like to always start off by talking about the weather. I live here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it's February, and for the last four days in a row, it's been sunny. And when it's sunny in Grand Rapids in the winter, that is cause for celebration. So I'm just feeling good and perky and happy because it's just beautiful outside. And listen, I feel happy too when it's not beautiful outside. You kind of have to. You got to figure out how to deal with the winter when you live in the uh, in the North Woods like I do. Uh, but boy, when it's when it's gray, the, the month of January this year in, in Michigan, uh, we were eight minutes short of setting, <laughs> setting the record for the most clouds that we've ever had in a single month in Michigan, ever. Uh, we, there, <laughs> this is so nuts. In the last month here in Michigan, in January, there were eight minutes where there was a possibility of sunlight. Or, or where there was eight minutes of sunlight the entire month. And so between sunrise and sunset, they call that the possible sun hours. There was eight total minutes where the sun peeked through <laughs> and was recorded here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I live in a cloudy place in January and it wears down at you a little bit. But then February came and it's been bright and glorious and a little cold, but that's okay because it's been bright and glorious and I've been soaking it up. So with all that being said, happy Wednesday. That's when I'm recording this. I'm not sure what day you're listening, but I'm feeling happy. And I, and I want to share, uh, share an idea with you. And, and I don't know if it'll take very long, but I just want to share a thought. Um, I was thinking back to a time where I was teaching this class and I had this idea that I wanted my students to have a place to read in the winter when it's gray and gloomy and it's and, and there's just no leaves on trees and you kind of feel this like color deprivation. And I know there's people listening here who live down in Florida or maybe out in California or maybe even Australia. I know some people, some friends are there listening and, and you're like, wait, what is he talking about? Where would the green go? And it's like, yeah, no, listen, where we live, up here in the in the the upper midwest we have whole swaths of the year with no color <laughs> and, it, and it and it can be a little dreary and for students it, it wears on them a bit and you can see it this this kind of like malaise falls over you and uh you you desperately wish you had more color in your life you wish you had more sunlight i mean i i literally have a sun lamp at my desk where you know a couple times a day i turn it on just and stare at this light bulb so i can get some vitamin d and i remember i, I remember this is a while ago now, but I was teaching these students and I was like, man, it would be so cool to have a place where they could go and do class and it would be warm 
and brighter and colorful and get a little bit of that natural vibe that we all need and that we all thrive in and that we all lack when you live here in Michigan in the winter. Uh, and we have this little place in Grand Rapids called Meyer Gardens. It's this big, beautiful indoor garden where there's like waterfalls and just tropical plants. And I'll go there. Heck, I might even go there today. Uh, and it, it's just like a giant greenhouse and it's absolutely gorgeous. And you can go and sit in it and it just recharges you. And I remember one time I was at Meyer Gardens, I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if there was classrooms that recharge students like this? And that's when the light bulb went off. I was like, well, what if we built one of those? Like, what if we had a classroom here in Michigan where students could go and be immersed in nature and green and beautiful? And so I just started spitballing ideas and I eventually landed on the idea of, well, what if we had a greenhouse attached to my classroom? And I want to point something out. I was not a science teacher. I wasn't teaching uh, agriculture. I was an English history teacher at this time. And, and so I didn't have any content standards directly connected to building a greenhouse, but I really wanted this space for my students. And if I'm being honest, I wanted it for me as well. And so I came up with this idea of like, let's find a way to build a little greenhouse and attach it to my classroom. And let's have, and then I learned about this thing called aquaponics. And aquaponics is essentially a system, uh, it's like you build your own ecosystem. I don't know if you've heard about it before, but I remember learning about aquaponics and really wanting that to be incorporated into this green space for my students to learn in. And the way aquaponics works is you have a huge tank that you actually l grow fish in. So fish live in this tank of water and then you have the garden right next to the fish tank and you pump the water out of the fish tank with all of the nutrients in that water aka fish poop and and you have that water the plants of the garden and so the garden is being watered with this highly fertilized nutrient rich water and then the plants actually filter out this water and then it goes and pumps back into the fish tank and so it's like this this cycle that's happening it's very like it's like modeling nature where, where trees are filtering out water and and you know animals and our organic matter is feeding the trees and, and it's just this cycle and so that's essentially what aquaponics is and I was like man wouldn't that be so cool and what if while my, my students are learning about different topics that might even be disconnected from gardening and agriculture but what if they were doing it in this green space and so they had the sound of running water and they had green all around them and the smells and the feel and the warmth of, of summer and spring outside of summer and spring. Uh, wouldn't that be a fun place to learn? Wouldn't that be fun if they could go and, and do their silent reading in there? What if we said, hey, we're gonna go into the garden and we're all gonna get comfortable and we're just gonna read and we're gonna be surrounded by all of this goodness. And so that was my big dream. And I was like, all right, I gotta make this happen. And so I started planning and I started collecting supplies and I went down to my own personal workshop and I found a ton of supplies we could use and PVC pipes and saws that we could build it out of and a bunch of scrap wood and I went to Home Depot and on a budget I was finding all of these different things that we could put together and um, it was really coming together and my principal said I could do it she said listen I don't have money to give you for this but if you can pull it off you have my blessing and I was like oh that's all I need I just need a blessing we can make this happen but the problem is I couldn't find a tank to raise the fish in. I needed like a 500 gallon tank to be able to raise fish in, in order to like complete this cycle. I mean, I could put everything else together, but I needed this tank. 
and and I didn't know where to find it. And the only th ones I could find were like a thousand dollars on the internet. Um, and I'm like, I live on a teacher's salary. There is no way. I mean, even the, the $60 in parts that I'd already bought was already a little bit of a stretch at this time. So $1,000 for a tank was out of the question. And after searching Craigslist for a couple months and, and, and driving around and going to different places and looking for deals on the internet, the dream started to come to an end. Because I mean, like the thing is like I could still build a garden, but I was so excited about this idea of aquaponics. It was all kind of tied together. It was the running water. It was having fish. It was doing all of this. And, and then also inviting the biology classes in to use the space as well and le them learning about life cycles. And it was all falling apart. I couldn't find the tank that I needed. And so one day I had to break it to students. I had them all in there and I said, all right guys, I've got bad news. We're not going to be able to do the aquaponics garden, the one I already told you about. And they're like, oh, why? And I'm like, well guys, I can't afford to buy this tank and you need a huge tank in order to pull this off. And I'll never forget this girl in my class. Her name is Zoe. And I remember Zoe raised her hand and she goes, well, my dad, uh, for his work, he has a bunch of huge, giant plastic tanks that he keeps out in our backyard. I'm sure he would give us one of them. I'm like, wait a minute, what? And she's like, yeah, my daddy, he runs a brewery <laughs> and he has these huge, giant plastic tanks. Um, I bet he would give us one. I'm like, wait, why are you just telling me this now? I've been telling you guys for months that we needed this. And I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, sorry, I guess I didn't think of it. And I'm like, it's all right. And so I got in touch with her dad. And guess what? The next morning, a truck pulled up to outside of my classroom and behind the truck was a trailer. And sitting on top of the trailer was a 500 gallon plastic tank. And I couldn't believe it. And that was the start of our aquaponics garden. And that's when we started building it. And we had what we needed now. And the most expensive piece was delivered to me for free by Zoe's dad. And this was like a big moment for me as a teacher. This was a really important lesson that I learned early on. That my, my students' parents are an invaluable resource to the teacher and to the classroom. I'll say that again for you. Parents can be an invaluable resource to the classroom. I mean, think about it this way. You know, when I was teaching high school, I had 150 students. Um, and that means I have at least 150 caregivers. And, and obviously it's more than that. But, you know, at, at the minimum, there was 150 caregivers. And that means at least, a and, and it's probably closer to 250 total. So you've got over 200 different people, different um, skill sets, 200 different people with different careers, different education backgrounds, different life backgrounds, different um, socioeconomic backgrounds, different uh, cultural backgrounds. You've got over 200 people if you're a secondary educator th who have all of these things that can be added and given to the classroom to help e expand the learning experience for your students. And if you teach elementary, you still have 20 plus parents who have different careers and backgrounds and skills and resources and ideas to contribute to, to, to your class and what's going on there. And, and it was like this light bulb for me, like, oh, 
I've got to reach out to parents more. I've got to take advantage of the fact that, that they have all of these things that can be offered to increase engagement and the experience of the students in my classroom. And I think sometimes as educators, we're resistant to reaching out to parents to ask for help. And I think we're resistant because we don't want to be a bother to them. We don't want to bother them with it, and so we just pull up our bootstraps and try to take care of it ourselves. And yet I have found over and over and over, anytime I've ever asked parents for help, there is always a willingness from some to, to help, to lend assistance. Now, is this across the board? Is it always, do you always have a positive response from parents when you ask for help? Well, no, of course not. Parents are people, and, and there's a diversity and in, in willingness to help, and there's a diversity and attitude and mindset towards school. But I'm telling you, lots and lots of parents want to help and be a part of their kids' education. And often the reason they're not is because we don't ask them to. I can tell you my, uh, my kids, I've got a nine and an eight-year-old in school. I've told you about them before. But I'm telling you, I, and as their dad, there is nothing in the whole wide world, nothing, nothing, nothing in the universe more important than my two kids, nothing. And, 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 and it's wild, and y any parents out there know this, it's wild that there is this massive, massive chunk of the day, five days a week where I, have, I don't see them. And, and the most I hear about it is at the dinner table when we talk about school, um, or I get a newsletter once a week from their, their teachers, which I just absolutely cherish to find out what's going on. But a lot of the week is kind of a mystery. And, and any time I get the opportunity to engage with their class, if I can, if I have the capacity in that moment, I love taking up their teachers on those opportunities, whether it's being a math helper in my daughter's class, whether it's volunteering to, to go on a field trip in my son's class, um, whether it's, it's dropping off supplies that are asked for. I love doing it. And, and maybe that's because I have a unique perspective of school and I know how important it is to have that, those community connections. I don't know, but I'm also just a dad. I'm just a parent who loves their kid and of course I want to be a part of it. And I think this is the case for a lot of parents. We just have to invite them in on it. You know, I've told you about other projects I've done before on the podcast or in videos, but there's just been other projects that I've done, other learning experiences that only came together because I learned this lesson about reaching out to parents. Like when I wanted my students to work with refugees and learn ways to serve them, I was able to get in touch with a social work agency who my students connected with and were able to present to and serve because I sent an email out to parents and asked if anybody has any connection to social workers. And, and sure enough, one parent did. Or one time I had um, someone who served in the country of Burundi in Africa um, come and talk to my students and be this guest speaker. Well, I got in touch with this woman because one of my students' parents was really good friends with her. I just had to send out an email to all of the parents saying, does anyone have any connections with somebody who's worked in the country of Burundi or these other countries? And sure enough, somebody was because that is what happens when you have lots and lots of people in your indirect network. You know, as teachers, we know a lot more people than we think we do. You know, I, I can't remember if I've, if I've shared this example before, but, um, you know, when I lead workshops and I'm talking about how do we connect with the community, how do, we, how do we make learning more authentic by having the community be more involved in what we're doing in the classroom, um, 
uh, I always want to make this point. I always say, hey, does anybody in the room right now know anybody who works at a zoo nearby? So, so most big cities have a zoo. And so I say, does any, any of you teachers know anybody who's connected to the zoo? And I'm telling you 100% of the time that I've ever asked this question, there's always at least one teacher in the room who knows somebody who works at the zoo, whether it's a former student, whether it's a friend or a family member, every single time, whether I'm in Kansas City or, or Anchorage, Alaska or Grand Rapids, Michigan, there's always at least one person who knows somebody who works in the zoo. And, and so I said, all right, the reason I asked that is because let's say you're doing some type of project or unit where your students are learning about zoos and maybe they're designing something that they would present to a hypothetical zoo or a hypothetical zookeeper. I say, well, what if you took it a step further and you presented to an actual zookeeper? But then you might be asking, how would I get in touch with a zookeeper? And I always make the point, well, just ask a room of teachers because there's always at least one person. We are way more connected than we think. And so are our students' parents. They, they have all of these careers, and we just have to invite them in on it. I'm telling you, I've, I've done it so many times where I'm like, man, it would be so cool to have a lawyer come and talk about this, this idea with my class. Send an email to parents. Is anybody out there a lawyer or have a friend who's a lawyer who might be able to spend 30 minutes talking to my kids? Sure enough, with all of those parents, at least one person is or knows someone who's a lawyer. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, just maybe do this exercise right now as you're listening to this podcast. Your friends, the people who you know, what kind of interesting jobs do they have? What kind of things do they do? And I bet if they are actually your friends and you ask them, hey, would you be able to go into my kid's class and talk about that? I bet you they would say yes, because here's the little secret. The community wants to be a part of your classroom. They want to be involved. Parents want to be involved. You know, and so, but I think it comes down to a boldness in the educators to ask for it. Hey, would you be willing to come and talk to my class? Hey, does anybody have this supply that I'm looking for? Does anybody have a connection to local government? This is another question I'll ask to teachers. Does anybody in here know anybody who's connected to local government? Every single time there's at least one hand that goes up. Yep, my neighbor is the mayor. Yep, my, my, my husband's the county commissioner. That was an answer I got in Indiana recently. Uh, yep, my, uh, my, my wife is on the school board. Whatever it is, there's always a connection. So it's like, all right, well, how about instead of just writing a persuasive essay for the grade book, what if your students wrote persuasive essays to a city official, to a county official, to a state official, to a federal official, asking for them to be involved um, and, and maybe making a change in the community? What if we actually made a bigger connection than just writing for school, but writing for a real cause? Because we have connections to people who will listen, who can actually up the authenticity. But again, we have to ask people. We have to ask for that help. Um, you know, and, and listen, I, there's absolutely issues sometimes in connecting with parents. And, and that's another episode. Uh, sometimes they don't want to be involved or sometimes they don't have the capacity to. I should say that nice and loud and clear. 
of course there are parents who don't have the capacity to be as involved as maybe they would like to be or as much as we'd like them to be and we have to have grace for that you know maybe sometimes maybe you have a wild idea and you throw it out there and you don't get a yes or you don't get what you need it's like okay well maybe I have to tweak the idea a bit maybe my students parents don't have that capacity you know I can tell you in my kids district it is so there is so much parent support and it is absolutely a blessing to their teachers I'm telling you if uh, uh, where my kids go to school there's just every time you there, there's literally like a waiting list sometimes to chaperone field trips what a blessing right like what a what a privilege that is I love that where of course there's other schools and districts and areas where that might not be the case and so obviously everything I'm saying here has to be measured and, and thought about like all right well how does this apply to my area but I'm telling you and I, I feel this so strongly whether you are in a high socioeconomic area or a low socioeconomic area parents are parents and they care about their kids and they want them to succeed and and if they find out that there are teachers who want to partner with them and invite them in on the learning that's happening they can be an invaluable resource um, and so I would encourage you to use parents as a resource ask for volunteers boldly say hey I explain the method to the madness when I'm teaching math it is so much more effective for your kids if there's more than one adult in the room so it would anybody be willing to fill out a volunteer form and come in on a Tuesday and sit down with kids and help them with their math assignments uh, would any oh, hey we're doing a career project would anybody be willing to come in and just talk for 10 minutes about what you do for your work hey does anybody have a giant spool of copper we're doing an experiment and copper is expensive does anybody would anybody be, uh, have that from your work or be able to donate that listen whatever it is parents want to be a part of it we just have to create a culture where asking is normal where we're boldly asking for help um, so give that a shot I don't know I, I, I'm telling you I, I don't have any specific ways of doing it to share right now um, maybe uh, we can put a resource together about how to reach out to parents um, and, and ask for help. I'm going to make a little note right now about how to do that. Because um, I, I think whatever way... But they, I'll just say this, though. Parents can be an amazing resource. There's so much on the internet uh, that's negative towards parents, and I get that. Gosh, I, I've had plenty of negative experiences with parents, um, but sometimes I think when we slap on those labels and we say, oh, parents are just something that make life difficult and, and miserable for teachers, I think we miss out on the opportunity to invite them in on what's going on and use them as a resource that can increase learning and make it more memorable and engaging and effective and successful for all of our students so let's let's find ways to do that more um, and uh, thanks for listening to the podcast today I really enjoy getting to share with you um, and now I'm gonna go out into the sunshine and I'm gonna go stare at the Sun and soak up some vitamin D because I desperately need it all right everybody uh, I'll talk to you next time thanks for listening to the epic classroom podcast my name is Trevor Muir and I will talk to you next time <laughs>